everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Peculiar Stories and Far Out Tales. I'm Anna Howington. And I'm Kim Yellen, and we are going to jump right in. All right. Normally, our stories, I notice that our stories tend to be kind of older. And so I decided to go with a more current story this time. Ooh. And I am doing the story of Balloon Boy. Oh. Yeah. So um, it was from 2010. So it was not that long ago. 2009, excuse me, the end of 2009. I remember this happening, but I don't remember anything about it. I just remember when it happened. For some reason, I was just like, I didn't catch up on the story at all. But I remember everybody being like, balloon boy this, balloon boy that. So I'm really excited for this. Right. Well, that that's part of the like after the story type of thing is how it got covered and like what that says about the media and like this like 24 hour news cycle and whatever. But we'll we'll get into that. Um, so the story starts with the mom and the dad. The mom's name or the pardon me, the dad's named Richard Heaney. And the mom is Mayumi, who is a Japanese national. Okay. They met in California at acting class. <laughs> uh, Richard, the dad, wanted to be an actor or a stand-up comic, um, but he just became a handyman. Um, so, um, yeah, it didn't quite work out. Um, they did have a little bit of success with producing demo reels for other actors, um, but for the most part, they, they weren't really successful in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. It should be noted that a friend of Heaney's at the time described him as, quote, a shameless self-producer who would do almost everything to advance his latest endeavor. So he kind of is just that guy that, like, just wants to be famous. Um, uh, he was a storm chaser for a little bit. Uh, he would, like, ride motorcycles into into tornadoes. He, what? <laughs> He reportedly, nobody's quite sure, he reportedly flew a plane around the the edge of Hurricane Wilma in 2005. Uh, I doubt that. Yeah. I feel like that's a tall tale. (laughs) Right. Anyway, so he he kind of gave that up. They moved to Colorado. They had three kids, three sons. It should also be noted that the family was on wife swap. Oh. Not only were they on wife swap, they were so good on wife swap that they were brought back, like they were voted back as a fan favorite to be on the 100th episode. Oh, my so gosh. <laughs> they were, I mean, they were that family. Like, wow. I, I feel like just kind of, you know, that kind of like pursuit of fame. Like yeah. they, all that he wanted. I don't know how much the mom wanted it, but that's all that, that Richard Heaney wanted. So he was kind of trying any direction to get there. Uh, I see. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Let that kind of set the scene that this is who we're dealing with. (laughs) So Richard Heaney had been uh, developing this, we called it a prototype of a saucer-shaped balloon. Uh, The balloon was 20 feet in diameter and 5 feet high. Uh, It was constructed using plastic tarps, and it was taped together and covered with aluminum foil, and then it was held together with string and duct tape. Very sturdy construction. Okay, why? (laughs) You know, I just think he was that guy. Like, there's kind of that, like, feeling of, like, he just kind of is a tinkerer. Okay. There was a base to it. There was a box that was very thin piece of plywood and cardboard on the side. So, and then it was also held together with string and duct tape. Not a very sturdy contraption, huh? No, 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 not at all. Oh, dear. Um, And then it was filled with helium. So um, (laughs) I guess it was just kind of chilling in their backyard, full of helium, kind of tethered to the ground. Um, So then, dun, dun, dun. So on October 18th, the family was all gathered together. There was a home video of this, which I feel like makes it even more, like... Suspicious. (laughs) Why is there a video? Right, yeah, like... 
So there's this video of like all the family together and they're like three, two, one. And then they release the balloon and then the balloon like flies away. And the dad very dramatically starts cussing up a storm. I watched this video. It's very like bad acting. Like if some, like I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> no. an actor at all. And if somebody was like, act mad because your balloon flew away. I feel like that's what I'd be like. Ah, I'm just like screaming and kicking stuff randomly and. Wait, okay, he was upset, but I thought they released it. No, it was, so there was like one kind of cord that was supposed to be able, I think, you were supposed to be able to release one cord, but then there was more strings that were holding it down. So it's only supposed to go up like 10 feet, he said. Oh, I see. So they were kind of just releasing it to see if it would fly, and then it flew away. So Mm. he's freaking out. Wow. And so at some point during the video, one of the brothers goes up to him and is like, Falcon's in the balloon. Falcon was in the balloon. And then the video like cuts. It's really weird. They named their kid Falcon. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's a pretty badass name for a kid. Agreed. Yeah. Could you imagine going into first grade and being like, my name's Falcon. I feel like that's one of those names that you like have to be cool though. Like you it has too many be. expectations on it. A lot it. of pressure. Yeah. Yes. There is this guy I worked with that named his kid Roman. And I was like, Ooh, oh. that's a that's a serious name to live up to. I don't know. Yeah, but the the brothers were named uh there was Falcon, Bradford, and Rio were the kids' names, which I feel like Bradford and Rio are not <laughs> super weird. Rio's kind of cool. It's Rio R-Y-O, which is a very Japanese name. I know two people named Rio that are both Japanese. So, so that's probably pretty common there. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. So anyway, so one of the brothers runs up to the dad and he's like, Falcon's in the balloon. And the dad is like, <gasps> and then it cuts. According to <laughs> the dad, they start like running around and screaming and looking for Falcon. And then they can't find him. So... According to the Wikipedia article, the first person that he calls was the Federal Aviation Administration, hoping that they could track the balloon. But apparently he couldn't get through to them. So then his next call was to the Denver NBC affiliate. He didn't call the police? Well, and then his next call was to the police. So that's the order of events according to Wikipedia. But then one of the podcasts I was listening to was said, no, said, no, he called the FAA first and then called 911 and then kept getting put on hold or something like that with 911. And then he called the TV like, I don't know. At some point, however, he called the TV channel to be like, my kid's in this balloon and get your helicopter up. Like he claimed it was because he knew that they had a helicopter and they could like help track this balloon. So I don't know the the order of events, whether he called the TV station before 911 is kind of up for debate. But hmm. however, I will say that the 911 call, which came in at about uh, 1130 a.m., it is the fakest 911 call I've ever heard in my life. It is so fake sounding like he's breathing oh, fast no. for no reason, really. Like it. I mean, it sounds like he just ran. It's really weird. Hmm. Go listen to it. It's all over YouTube. Just type in 911 balloon boy. I will. Yeah, it just sounds super fake. So, yeah, so he called 911. The balloon did end up getting tracked by helicopters, and it had ended up drifting 60 miles. So it was in the air for about an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. It had started in Fort Collins, and it drifted towards the airport, towards uh, DIA, towards the Denver airport. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which that caused problems, and planes had to be rerouted. Like, they they were being very cautious with this balloon. Um, the balloon went up to 7,000 feet in the air. So, I mean, it was really high, too. Hmm. So it, it could have started, particularly planes that are landing, like, 
it could have started to affect that. So hmm. um, it eventually landed. Um, it landed at about 135, just 12 miles northeast of the Denver International Airport. Um, so right when it landed, everyone was like, oh, the balloon has landed. All the news channels had tuned in. CNN was listening and NBC was listening. All these like 24 hour news cycles were going to like live feeds of this balloon. And they actually um, they were talking on air like national news channels. And they were talking on air about when the balloon landed, that they would go to a delayed feed in case there was like. They didn't want to show a dead kid on the Mm. air. Oh, no. And they were like talking about that. They like said, like, we're going to a delayed feed when this thing lands because we, you know, in case there's there's something something bad in there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the balloon landed and it became really obvious there was nobody in the balloon. So then everybody was like, oh, the kid must have fallen out of the balloon. And so they were talking about how this one sheriff's deputy said that he could have sworn he saw something fall out. Oh, my God. There was a picture that was taken that could have shown like a black dot. So people were like, well, he must have fallen out. And so they started to do a search and rescue. They searched all these different places for the boy and they couldn't find him. And then at 4.15, CNN reported that the boy had been found hiding in a cardboard box in the attic. Oh, so how convenient. How convenient. So it was like two and a half hours later. They were like, oh, the boy's right here. Hmm. Yeah. And that kind of started the whole like balloon boy hoax Hmm. pretty quickly after that. So the next day. They were on um, the Larry King show and Wolf Blitzer Hmm. was filling in for Larry King. I guess that day somebody was like, this seems kind of fishy. And the police said that they initially did not think that it was a hoax. So uh, the next day, the whole family was on on Larry King um, and Wolf Blitzer was filling in. Okay, And so Wolf Blitzer asks, why did you not come out of the garage? And um, his parents repeated the question to him. And he said, quote, you guys said that. We did it for the show. Oh, my gosh. Which is just an example of you do not ask six-year-olds to lie. So um, Wolf Blister didn't hear him. So he kind of just kept talking. And then they went to commercial break. And during the commercial break, somebody told him what the kid said. And so when they came back from commercial break, Wolf Blister was like, uh, what did he mean by we did it for the show? And right away, there's like this instant, like it's re- it's kind of funny to listen to the interview. Like, you know, when you get caught in a lie and you start like circling the yeah. wagons. Yeah. And you start, so he instantly gets like super defensive and is like, look, I've been through so much in this past day. I came on your show. I don't know what he meant. Blah, 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 blah. You can see what you're insinuating. It's not that at all. And Wolf Blitzer is like, hey, dude, like, I'm a journalist. Like, we have to ask these questions. <laughs> oh, my God. Wolf did not say, hey, dude. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, he was like, we have to, like, your kid said this really weird thing. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why did, what show was he talking about? And right away, the dad was like, like, doubles down. And to see that happen on live television has got to be so goddamn entertaining. Yeah, it's so, know? like, fulfilling. Like, I bet Wolf was like, uh, check mark. Perfect. Yeah, like, I did it today. Journalism A+. Plus. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a, a gold star on his record. So then the next day they were on Good Morning America and Falcon was sick. 
They were kind of asked oh, the same question huh. and the kid threw up, which like led to more suspicion. But like kids throw up. I don't know. I didn't think that was super suspicious. Uh, I bet he was just like nervous. The kid's like, you know, all these adults are asking me these things and my parents are telling me to lie. Like that's going to mess with a kid's head. Right, right. Yeah. That would make him very nervous and it might make him throw up. I mean, I could see that. Yeah, that's true. I remember throwing up as a kid when I got nervous. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of fueled even more suspicion. The police started to investigate it. On October 18th, the police chief called a press conference and he called the incident a hoax. And he said, quote, we believe we have evidence to this point to indicate that this is a publicity stunt in hopes to better market themselves for a reality show. Oh, my God. He did say that no charges have been filed yet, but it could be both misdemeanor and felony charges, including conspiracy to commit a crime contributing to the delinquency of a minor, filing a false report to authorities, and attempting to influence a public servant. So they were really like racking up the charges against this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So then on October 19th, the Heaney's, Richard Heaney, his lawyer, announced that they would surrender to police as soon as charges were filed and plead guilty. Like they were still going with this, no way, it's not a hoax, like, but we'll we'll comply with whatever you want. Hmm. And then later... Miyumi, the mom, admitted that she, quote, knew all along that Falcon was hiding at the residence. However, now they're saying that she was threatened with like all kinds of stuff. Like she was threatened with like deportation. And they said that the state would take her kids and that she didn't have a lawyer present. Uh, Just don't talk when there's not a lawyer there. Like it's never, never good things. But like that they threatened her with all types of stuff. And and that was why she she said that she knew about Falcon hiding in the garage. So on November 12th, the uh, lawyer for the family announced they decided that they would plead guilty. So on November 13th, the dad pled guilty to the felony charge of attempting to influence a public servant. And then he was charged with 90 days in jail and 100 hours of community service. Uh, he was also ordered to write an apology to the agencies that searched for Falcon. Um, and Miami was sentenced to 20 days in jail. It was like weekend jail, though. So she she could kind of go in and out. And Wait, then what? Weekend jail? I've heard of that before. Weekend jail? Yeah, that you only go in on the weekends. The fuck is that? That's a thing. That's a thing? Yeah, weekend jail. Yeah. <laughs> How is that a thing? Like, like, just somebody that they don't think is going to run away, but like still needs to like work. I mean, doesn't everybody need to just work? You well, know? yeah, I know. But I, I, if somebody's convicted of like a murder, I I think they're, they don't need to come out and work. But if somebody's only sentenced to 20 days for like something stupid, I'm OK with them just going like serve your time on the weekends and like take care of your family the rest of I the mean, time. I mean, I'm not like, against it. I just never heard of it. <laughs> that just seems crazy. Maybe I'm just I'm more familiar. Familiar with the, with the penal system. <laughs> maybe it's something I talked about. I had heard of it before. I thought that was kind of a common okay. thing. It, for those of you that don't know, nonviolent criminals can sometimes be sentenced to just weekend jail. So she went to, yeah, she was sentenced to 20 days. She also was allowed to have her sentence after her husband's sentence ended so that she could take care of the kids. She didn't leave him after this? <laughs> no, 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 nope, nope. She is, she's still with him. They're still wow. together. The dad was also ordered to pay $36,000 in restitution. I have a strong suspicion nobody ever got the $36,000. 
That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So in a 2019 interview, the family vehemently claims that it was not a hoax. They are they are sticking with this story even after all of this. So talking about kind of the media reports a little bit, Balloon Boy became the number one search um, within hours of the event. (laughs) And then in July 2011, Richard Heaney auctioned off the balloon for two thousand five hundred and two dollars. Um, he claimed that the proceeds went to earthquake and tsunami relief. Yeah, I think they overpaid for that. But if it goes to charity, that's great. I thought that was an underpaid. $2,000 for the... For the balloon? For like the balloon from Balloon Boy. I thought that like this is like a piece of like Americana. And <laughs> that's true. $2,000? Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I thought it was <laughs> underpaying, but I guess things are only worth. <laughs> they didn't ask me. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> Um, so just to wrap up, the family moved to Florida. Um, the three brothers are in a band. Oh, my God. Called the Heaney Boys with a Z to make it cool. That's how you know it's cool. Um, and they have a song called Balloon Boy, Not a Hoax. Wow. The dad also, um, because, again, he's kind of a tinkerer. He has a product if you'd like to buy it it's called your shakedown and it's this like weird machine like little contraption thing that like slaps your ketchup bottle to like get the last little bit of the ketchup out it's like a little arm that like slaps the ketchup bottle and it can be (laughs) yours if you thought that the balloon was expensive hang on it can be yours for six easy payments. Six? Of $29.99. Jesus. I was like, are you kidding I me? Mean, how long do you have to use that thing for it to, right. to justify the amount of ketchup you're going to save? And how much is a bottle of ketchup? I, uh, yeah. Holy yeah. crap. I don't, I don't know. So oh my God, that is hilarious. kind of the, fun, the most recent news on the Heaney family. And Balloon Boy, they are still oh, wow. sticking with their story. They're saying it's not a hoax. Not a, oh, yeah, wow. That they oh, were talked into it, which I kind of like, the part that really makes me think it's a hoax is that the kid was like, we did it for the show. It's totally a hoax. It's totally a hoax. Right. And those poor kids are going to need so much therapy. When you're kind of raised with this, like, you have to be famous. I feel like that's never. It's not good. It's not good. You can't put that much pressure on kids. No. They were claiming that we did it for the show was like him getting confused about like another show they were going to be on later that day. No, that's not. No. That's not what happened. <laughs> I guess I want to play like devil's advocate, but. No. No. Yeah. I mean, there's I there's mean, a big part of me that thinks it was a hoax, but I could kind of yeah. see like kids, kids get confused and kids say weird things. But I also, again, Never ask a kid to lie. It's never going to yeah. work out. I don't know. My my nephew just says anything that he is thinking. And <laughs> yeah, they just say whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. I didn't I didn't know all of that. Yeah. What a crackpot. Oh, yes. my God. Yes. And still, it sounds like he's still still working those angles. Yeah. Still still crackpotting it for sure. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That was awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I I feel like we do a lot of like older stuff. That was awesome. Yay. Okay. Well, I am going to take it back a little bit, but not as far back as I have with the last few stories. So I know you know this story. Okay. And I'm sure you've seen the movie. (laughs) And I know you've read the book because when I texted our sisters about it, one of your sisters was like, Kim stole that book from me and I couldn't get it back from her or something. (gasps) 
Oh, I think I can I guess. Is it about the jumping horses? Yes. Yay! <laughs> I did I did steal that book. Yes. <laughs> so Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> it was such a good book. Oh my gosh. It was. Oh my gosh. I, I tore through that book in the last like two, three days. It was amazing. Yes. So, so good. good. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it was my favorite movie when I was a kid. Yes! Oh my I gosh. I love that movie. Oh. Uh, what is it? Wild, wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Wild Hearts Can't oh Be Broken. Oh my God, yes! Yes. Oh, I'm here. It's awesome. amazing. I'm here for it. <laughs> Tell me everything. Okay, so this is the story of one of the first female horse divers, Sonora Webster Carver. Mm. Sonora was born in 1904, and growing up, she loved horses so much that it ended up getting her into quite a bit of trouble as a child. Uh, when she was five years old, she tried to trade her baby brother for a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that would, um, that would get you in trouble. That would do it, for sure. But they didn't take the baby brother. Oh, you know. come on. In first grade, she would stop to visit horses on her way to school every day, and it would make her late. And she just kept doing it, even though her teacher told her not to. And so her teacher eventually flunked her for it. So mm -hmm. she was like, you can't make it to school on time, flunking you out of the first grade. Yeah. And then in high school, she continued to cut classes to go horseback riding. Uh, once while she was horseback riding and skipping class, she almost killed the principal <gasps> who was on a walk in a nearby park. And she like came around the corner on a horse and almost ran into him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he didn't like that very much. No, I can imagine not. She ended up just dropping out of school anyway, just a few months later to take care of her younger brothers and sisters when her mother had to go take care of her dying grandfather. So she didn't finish high school. I will say that for anybody that goes to read the book, you can kind of tell that it's written by somebody that maybe didn't graduate high school. Like it, it is kind of one of those reads that can really? be a little. Oh, I thought I, that I it thought was so. just, um, well, there were quite a few typos in it, which I thought was interesting yes. because I was like, this is a really well-known book. Like who edited this? And then. Oh yeah. Maybe I'm blaming her for the editor. Like I, I there were a lot of things that I felt like the, like the sentence structure like, didn't quite. Yeah. Right. It was a little weird, but I feel like it was bad edits. Like oh. it wasn't like, I felt like her writing was pretty solid, but I also kind of felt like it was a ghostwriter. And I also felt like it was written for a younger audience. Like it wasn't written for like adults. Oh. It was written for like 10, you know, well, maybe not 10, but like 12, 13 year olds. Oh, like I feel like it was really geared to like a younger audience. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I, you're, you're right. Maybe I'm blaming her for things that like an editor should have should done have or didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. You're like changing my whole frame. I didn't, I didn't think it was terrible writing. I didn't think it was terrible, but it was definitely like, I think there are books that you read that you can kind of tell like, this is the first book they've written, you know, like you can yeah. kind of tell sometimes, but yeah. I feel like it was editing because everybody's going to have typos right. before books go to print. They go through all kinds of edits like they do, you know, structural editing and then they do copywriting and in copywriting, you should be catching all those little right problems. That's true. And they didn't. So, OK, sorry. I take it all back. It was like weird punctuation. And then like it had a word like out of place, but it wasn't it was it was like clearly a typo. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I'm no, you're I'm right. Defend you're her totally writing. right. Yes. That, I mean, that's very appropriate defending. I take it all back. I take okay. it all back. <laughs> so uh, her family moved to Savannah when she was 19 years old. And this is where she saw her first diving horse show. 
mm-hmm. and met the originator, Dr. Carver. At the time that she saw this, this horse diving show, uh, she was working as a bookkeeper at a Savannah department store. Uh, she was already living on her own. She had her own like little place at a boarding house in Savannah and her sister was living with her there and her mom lived like out, out of town a little ways uh, with the rest of their family. And she saw this and she was like, I got to do this. This looks amazing. I, I want to try to, you know, become a horse diver. So this guy, Dr. Carver, that came up with the act of these, you know, high diving horses, he was a trapper turned dentist turned traveling performer And by the time Sonora meets him in 1923, he was the owner and inventor of this horse diving act. He just, he was trying everything. He was trying to find his place in the world. Yeah. Well, he was also like over 80 Mm -hmm. when she met him. So he had like lived a full life. And um, he was like, uh, when he was a performer, he was like a marksman. And so he like traveled overseas and to Europe and like, you know, did a bunch of shows there, shooting coins in the air and stuff like that. Yeah, I was kind of impressed that he, you know, he wasn't like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I guess I'm just going to like sit here and die. Mm -hmm. I'll kind of be the. Yeah, he was the producer. He was the originator. He came up with the whole idea of it. And um, yeah, when they first started it, they originally just started it with just the horses diving Mm -hmm. off of these like huge 40 foot towers. So they would construct these big towers at these like carnivals and fairs. And then below the tower would be a tank that would be like 11 feet deep, full of water. And the horse would run up this 40 foot tower and jump off of it into the water tank. So they started off just having the horses do it. And then they added riders in later on because it made more of a spectacle, you know? You, you got to add the pretty girl. That makes everything better. Yeah. And the rider would be at the top of the tower. So it wouldn't ride up on the horse. The The horse would run up the tower and then the rider would jump on right before. Mm, mm-hmm. It was really like, you know. Dramatic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very dramatic. So Dr. Carver, he took this act all over the United States. He would have two of them running at the same time. So they'd have like one in Atlantic City and one down in Oklahoma. And they would just, you know, like have these acts running. And they had been doing it for about 10 years when Sonora uh, first saw this act. She describes seeing it for the first time in the beginning of her memoir, A Girl and Five Brave Horses. Mm-hmm. I highly, you know, recommend as we've talked just talked about. Yep. It's awesome. She writes, a tall tower stood to the left of the grandstand. It was freshly painted white and so enormous it dwarfed everything in sight. A girl in a red bathing suit, brown football helmet, and white sneakers sat on a railing at the top of the tower, looking intently down a steep ramp. She gave a signal with her hand, and instantly there came a sound of horses' hooves hitting the runway. Streamers of lights quivered and braces and supports vibrated as a horse galloped up. And then, as if by magic, the horse's forequarters appeared. And she galloped past the girl on the railing and the girl jumped on. They drew up together at the head of the tower platform where there was a sheer drop off. And the horse stood for a moment like a beautiful statue looking down at the audience. After looking the crowd over to her own satisfaction, she hung for a moment at an almost perpendicular angle and then pushed herself away from the boards and lunged outward into space. For a split second, her form was imprinted on the night sky like a silhouette. The beautiful body arched gracefully over and down and plunged into the tank. Sheets of water splashed up, hung there bright and crystal edged, then fell back down into the tank. For a moment, nothing happened. And then the horse shot up, rocketed from the bottom as if catapulted. So, 
I wish you could like see me now. I feel like tearing up. That was oh. that's like the best. That was such a good quote from the book. Perfect. Yeah, and that's right at the beginning. Yeah. So after seeing the show, she answers an ad Dr. Carver had placed in the local newspaper for diving girls. And a few months later, she travels to Florida to begin training. She was offered $50 a week for the job, which was a lot of money mm-hmm. for that time. Um, her previous job as a bookkeeper only paid her $15 a week. Yeah, she like hit the jackpot. Yeah, and she actually even started making more. By later that year when the show was doing really well, she was up to $125 a week. And she was diving about, I think like four or five times a day. Dude, bank lady. Yeah, she was really raking it in. Yep. Dr. Carver ran the show with his son, Al, who would, Al would later go on to marry Sonora. Which make that makes it such like, I feel like the, the part with Al, that's why it's such a good movie. Like... Oh, that's what you think. But we'll talk about the movie here in a little bit. It didn't age well. No? (laughs) You think that now because you saw it when you were 12. I saw it yesterday. Oh, you're right. I probably haven't seen it in 20 years. (laughs) There's some problems. (laughs) Oh, boo. Okay. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay. But first, let's tell the real story because the movie is uh, highly dramatized and and, uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies in it just, you know, they had to do that because it's a movie, but they made some interesting choices that I don't know (laughs) that they needed to or should have. Um, But we'll get to that in just a little bit. Okay, so... She joins this act and she starts diving these horses. She loves it. And she gets really close to Dr. Carver and his family. And she kind of sees him as like a father figure. Um, He dies a few years later, but she continues the show. And she even brings her sister, Arnette, to come and join them and start diving horses as well. Uh, They worked with five horses and usually, like I said, had two different acts traveling around the country each season. Once the horses were trained, they would routinely perform the act without coercion for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they didn't use any whips to train the horses. Uh, They were really like good to their horses. They didn't beat them. And the horse kind of had to have the right temperament for it. So they would know within like the first couple weeks of working with a horse if a horse was going to be able to jump or not. And they would start them off on like a lower tower of like 25 feet. And if the horse jumped off at no problem, they would like have him do that a bunch of times. And then they would gradually take it up to the 40 foot tower, which is what the big show was on. Right. Like they they really cared. I mean, the the horses Mm -hmm. weren't seen as just like commodities. Like they really put a lot of time into. Yeah. Yeah. Into these horses. And and like you said, really cared for them. Like that was Mm -hmm. really obvious. Yeah, and in her book, Sonora goes into a lot of detail about each of the horses and their different personalities. And it's really fascinating to see, like, how much the horses seem to love doing it, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy because it was like they would, like, put on these shows. And if there wasn't a big audience, some of the horses would, like, kind of be a little miffed, you know. It's really interesting, like, just the intelligence of the animals. Mm -hmm. I always think there are animals that, like, like to perform. Like, I Mm -hmm. I always think animals kind of know. And I think it probably would be fun to like dive if like you knew you were going to be okay and you did it over and over again and you were a horse like it I think it's like exhilarating you know mm-hmm. yep Dr. Carver would demand the highest quality food and really spacious stalls everywhere they went and all of this was like mandated in the contracts but even back in the 1920s there were some animal rights groups that would protest a diving show and they would occasionally end up in court 
and have to like have veterinarians come and examine the horse's condition in order for them to mm-hmm. continue performing. But every time this happened, the veterinarians would come in and look at the horses and be like, these horses are great. They're fine. There's something wrong with them. You know, like you guys can continue. Uh, once in California, the show was barred pending an investigation and Al Carver loaded up a horse in a trailer with a sign that said, I'm being taken to jail for jumping into a tank of water and rode it like all around town. <laughs> Good, good. And then later at that trial, Dr. Carver brought the horse to the courthouse lawn Mm -hmm. and the judge recessed the court, went outside, looked at the horse and then threw the whole thing out after he saw that the horse was fine. So, you know, they did really love these horses like family and they did their best to take excellent care of them. She tells the story about one horse that would uh, jump off the tower, no problem, but would get so terrified during thunderstorms. And whenever there was bad weather, they'd always make sure that somebody was there with the horse until Mm. the weather cleared. Aww. I know. It was really sweet. Yeah. But there was one instance where a horse did die during an act. And that was because they tried diving the horse into the ocean. And the horse got confused after the jump and started to swim out to sea instead of towards the shore. And it got really tired and it ended up, they couldn't get it to go back. They had like boats go out and try to like corral it back to the shore, but it it just kept going and it got tired and it drowned and it was really sad. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't the jump that, like it was kind of this really weird situation. Yeah. Like unknown situation that it jumped into. Like, But I mean, they did put that horse in that situation. That's true. So, I mean, like, we can't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is not going to fly today. (laughs) Yeah. But most of the injuries were actually to the riders themselves. Dr. Mm. Carver's daughter, who was also a diver, uh, she ended up hurting her leg really bad and had to have surgery. Other divers would end up really bruised and with lots of scratches and stuff. Wasn't the leg in the movie? No. The daughter wasn't even in the movie. They just cut her out completely. There wasn't another... I thought there was like another There was girl. another diver. Yeah. Yeah. Was that not the sister? And didn't she hurt no. herself? Oh. That was not the sister. That was not Al's sister or Sonora's sister. sister. Oh, Both okay. of those sisters were divers too. Yeah. But and the, it was just some made up, oh. you know, diva. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if she, maybe she did hurt herself, mm-hmm. but yeah. The worst case of an injury happened to Sonora herself, though. Yeah. Uh, she was performing in Atlantic City when a horse she was riding jumped at an odd angle, and she got scared and ended up hitting the water with her eyes open, causing her retinas to detach, and she went blind at 27 years old. Ugh. So after that, she went to the hospital, and they tried to do a bunch of different surgeries, but none of it worked, and she completely lost her eyesight. Like, instantly, too. I, I feel like I remember. No, actually, it was a, it took a couple of days because oh. uh, I guess, like, a blood clot formed behind her eye. Maybe it was just that she knew something was wrong right away. That's she knew I'm something thinking. was wrong immediately, yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah. it it took a couple days and it's just like her like eyesight started to just dim until one day it was just gone Ugh, that must be so scary it was really yeah yeah and so she was i mean obviously had a really hard time she had to stay in the hospital she had to like lay flat on mm. a bed and couldn't move for weeks it was really really rough but once she like found out that there was you know nothing was going to help none of the surgeries were going to work you know she she had this to say about losing her sight 
She said, after considering the matter from every angle, I decided that the best strategy I could adopt would be to treat my blindness as if it were a minor detail rather than a major catastrophe. Bad ass bitch. Yeah. So she really had like an amazing attitude about this. And Mm -hmm. right from the beginning, she was like, I want to learn to do everything on my own. She would get really upset with people if they tried to like cut up her food for her or tried to like guide her around. She learned Braille and she learned to dress herself and, and iron for herself and all of this stuff. And she decided that she wanted, after she had like kind of, you know, got control of her immediate world and, and like, you know, learned how to kind of like navigate through her life with this newfound disability, she decided she wanted to start diving again. And so that summer, she got cleared from her doctor and she took her first dive since losing her sight. And when she went to go and do her first dive, she didn't want anybody to announce to the audience that she was blind. She didn't want anybody to know she was blind. She didn't want that to be a part of the act at all because she said that it might excuse her being less of a performer and she wanted to be judged as if she had her sight and was just a regular diver, you know? Right. I imagine that the, was it the 30s yet? Or it was still the 20s? Uh, she was 27 at this time. I think it might have just been, yeah, it was the 30s, I think. Yeah, I imagine that, I mean, that doesn't, from what I've read in the past, that's not a great time for people with disabilities either. Like, No, I wouldn't think so. But she had the support of her husband. She was married to Al at that point in time. They'd gotten married, I think, a year prior. And um, so I think he was really supportive of her. And when she said she wanted to dive again, he had some reservations, but... You know, I think he kind of learned that he wasn't going to be able to tell her she can't do things, right. you know? Right. And um, yeah, so she she just went ahead and did it. And she continued to dive blind for another 11 years. Badass. I know. It's amazing, right? I just, I think that's such a, such a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1996, they made a movie based on Sonora's life called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Yeah. Um, but she didn't like the movie. Yeah. yeah. She was a little upset at like the way that they portrayed her. There were a lot of things that weren't true in the movie. And one of the things that she was actually upset about, she said, is that they made this big deal about her being so brave to dive again blind. Mm-hmm. And she said to her, it was like, she didn't think it was that brave because she had been doing it for so many years before that. And I guess maybe maybe her definition of brave is just different than what other people's definition yeah. of brave is. Because I think to everybody else, it's pretty brave. Right. Yeah, I I think it's pretty brave. But I mean, there's just those people in the world that are like, no, it's not like this is how I reacted. Like it wasn't it was yeah. a decision I made and I went with it. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't a gosh, I wish I like met her. I bet she'd be so cool. I know. Right. I bet she was so cool. Uh, but then there were also like a lot of problems that she had, I think, probably with the beginning of the movie because her origin story that they give in the movie, it's not at all what happened. Uh, uh, they, like, have her living with an abusive aunt, and she she lived with her mother. And her mother was pretty eccentric, but her mother was the one that, like, pushed her to answer the ad in the first place. She's like, I think you would really like this. So, like, she was really supportive of her daughter, like, going out there and, like, living her dreams or whatever and wanted to see her, like, be able to travel, you know, and not you know, stuck in in yeah. the place that she was at. And so it seemed like they had a, a pretty good relationship. 
I feel like you have to like, like there has to be kind of, what is that called? The, the hero's journey. Like there has to kind of be that you have to have a struggle, right? Like it wouldn't have been a good movie if the mom was like, just do it. And she was like, okay. Yeah. Like, but herein lies another problem in that is that they, in the movie, they portray her as being about like 13, 14 years old mm -hmm. and having her like run off to join this like traveling show. But she was 19 when she joined Dr. Carver's show. Like I said, she was already living on her own. She already had her own job. She was an adult. But they made her look like she was really, really young. Like from what I could tell, it was like she was still in like school. Right, yeah. In a one-room schoolhouse, like with kids that looked like they were eight years old. Yeah. And so then they put her in this situation where she's running away. And I guess the, the biggest problem there is that then she supposedly falls in love or she's pursued by this adult man. Mm, yeah. Who, and in real life, he was quite a bit older than her. He was yeah. he was 20 years older than her, but they didn't start their romantic relationship until she was in her mid-20s. So, you know, I mean, it's it's still a big age difference, but it's not like... It's not like a level that should be illegal. Yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that when I was a kid. I didn't think about that angle at all. real obvious when you (laughs) watch it now. (laughs) Okay, I'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah, so I watched it last night with Elder. Yeah? And he was like, what is happening? (laughs) He couldn't believe that this story was being told this way. And I couldn't either. I was like, oh my God, I can't even believe my mom let me watch this. And and their scenes together too were like really touchy-feely. Yeah. Oh, every time like, at all. he would like grab her face and like pull her in for a kiss. Elder would be like, there she goes again into the arms of a predator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was just it was like an adult man seducing a child. It right. Was yeah. Really, really disturbing. I, and you can't get around it either because it's like, I mean, <laughs> you can't get around it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't pick up on that as a kid. I don't remember that. Oh, it has not aged well at all. I highly recommend you go back and watch it now (laughs) because I'll have to check it out. Wow. Though outside of that, I have to say, I can kind of understand why that was my favorite movie as a kid. Yes. Uh. It's just, it, I feel like that character spoke a lot to my soul. (laughs) Yes. I feel like even the title, it's like. And then also she was just like, you know, so optimistic. And I just felt like they did really get her spirit right in mm-hmm. that movie because mm-hmm. I felt the same kind of character come out in her book as well. And that was just really awesome to see. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting to watch it. But yes, I can imagine yeah. with like adult eyes. That's <laughs> yeah, always kind of adult eyes. Yeah, definitely. I went back and watched, um, not super recently, but one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Mrs. Doubtfire. And I went back and watched that as an adult and I was like, oh my God, some of the things they said, like some of the, oh, really? the jokes that were very like adult jokes. Like, Oh, I'll have to go watch it I was again. Like, that went right over my head. I, <laughs> there's, there's a part where um, like Mrs. Doubtfire is talking to, I don't, Pierce Brosnan, I don't know what the name of his character was, but he was talking to him and he was like, oh, she's got power tools in the, like, you better watch out in bed because she has power tools in the closet. <laughs> and I legitimately was like, like screwdrivers and oh my a drill. Gosh. Like it, that went, I remember hearing that joke as an adult and being like, they're talking about vibrators. Like it, <laughs> it went right over my head. But 
I feel like that's okay, though. I think it's okay to, like, drop some adult jokes. That's true. For kids. Yeah, yeah. But when you're, like, promoting, like, <laughs> statutory, statutory rape. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I'll have to go back and watch it. I wonder if it's on Netflix or anything. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, it all happens really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so, that's, it's kind of a bummer. Like, I was with that, like, love story. I was like, oh, they love yeah. each other. And he like the other thing is that like <laughs> he looks about thirty two. Yeah, yeah. And she looks about fourteen. Right. Yes. Yep. Like they didn't even. <laughs> they didn't even try to. They didn't even to try. make it okay. I mean, they could have just made him younger. Like right. they could have just like they changed everything else about the story. Like why not? Right. Why did Aww. they do that? I don't know. Oh well. And what a lady, though. I mean, what a can lady. you imagine? Can you oh. imagine jumping off a 40-foot tower on a horse? I, uh, no, no. I, none of that sounds, riding the horse. I think I could ride I a horse. But, I know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, no, it's crazy. no, no, no. Yep. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Is, that, is she, awesome. she's not, she's not still alive. No, she, she passed yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat recently. Yeah. What Yay. spirit. Yeah. It's crazy. Cool. Such All a right. good story. Loved it. Thanks. Yeah. I love yeah. looking into that. Good. All right. You want to do our rundown? Sure. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. So I, um, oh my God, I had something. What was I going to say? Your half? Well, yeah, I was going to, I feel like that's like talking about the same thing twice. So yeah, I ran, I did <laughs> run my half marathon on Sunday and uh, yeah, it was tough. I don't know if I'll do it in a race anytime soon. Like, I feel like... Let's do it. I'll do it with you. Yeah? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Ugh. I feel like, like, anytime I'm running, I don't like... I'm really slow. And so I, I don't... I am, too. I'll go slow I, with you. You, when we were doing the run together, you were like, bye. <laughs> so I think you're faster than I am. If I am faster, I'm probably only, like, a few seconds faster. I, you finished the run we did. How long were you waiting at the finish line? Oh, like, maybe two to five minutes it was nothing like okay. I was still like covered in sweat and you were like yeah. where are you yeah we okay. should have run together it but was that would have been tough it was a it tough was a, yeah. run to run anyway because there were so many people so many people what was yours oh um <laughs> so uh I hadn't been running for a little while because I was super depressed because everything sucks and mm-hmm. the world is coming to an end and Aww. nothing anybody could do about it. So I was feeling pretty down for a couple of days and I got what I thought was some good news and it really put some pep in my step. And so I got out on a sunny day and I ran a really solid three miles and I felt amazing and it was just really nice because halfway through the run it was still sun outside but you know when it rains and it's also the sun is still shining yes yeah what do they call that what is that sun sun showers is what i'd call them but i feel like oh. that's regional oh i it's, thought that uh the southern saying was the devil's beating his wife oh yes i have heard that before but only in like that context but I, yeah. i've always called them sun showers but yeah it was just like halfway through it there was just like the shower and it just felt really nice and refreshing and then I got back you know and it felt really good and then the next day the good news ended up not being good news but because our government sucks yeah anyway I'm sorry yeah no it's all right it's okay edit this part out 
No, but like, <laughs> so yeah. they don't have. They're not helping anybody. They don't care. They're yeah. just gonna let you know everybody just uh, lose their jobs and. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna stop. All right, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not I mean, this part I feel like it's more a problem with people making promises that they can't keep. Is yeah, the bigger yeah. issue that needs to stop real quick. Like, whoo, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. Well, eh, it's okay. But yeah. yeah, so the run was really great. It was just really good to like you run know, it out, run it out, and just like remember like that like physical activity will always make you feel better no matter how dire your situation is. Like sitting at home is not going to do anything but make you feel bad. If you can just force yourself to get up and do something, you know, Mm -hmm. you're never going to regret it. Right. You know, you're not going to. You're only going to be able to get a clear head about things, make better decisions and feel better about life in general. So I think that was just uh, what I learned that day is that not that I, I mean, I think I already knew that, but it was just like a reinforcing yeah, that. Yeah, like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter if you feel bad, like by not doing a run or not doing, you know, some kind of physical activity, you're only going to continue to feel bad. <laughs> right, right. I do. Feel, I feel like for running, for me anyways, it's like something I can control too. Like yeah. when like it feels like the world's just like going crazy and everything's out of your control and you don't know when this is going to happen or that's going to happen and you or if or what, like I can control how fast I run. I can control how, I mean, to an extent, how I feel mm-hmm. while I'm, when I'm running. Like, it's like, I made this decision to do this and mm-hmm. I control it. And yeah, yeah, the world's totally. going crazy, but I can still, I can still run. You can so. still take care of yourself, right? Right, yeah. That's like, yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, particularly if you're not related to Anna or I and you're listening, <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. means a lot. Please, please, please go give us a little review on iTunes. Yep. It'll only take a second. Yep. Five stars. Even if you did enjoy it, you, yep. can, you can lie and say you did. Mm-hmm. We won't we'll tell anybody. We'll appreciate it. We won't. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't have to tell anybody. Exactly. Yep. Five stars. Five stars. Yep. Rate, listen, subscribe, share, do all the things. Yes. Yep. Peculiar stories and faraltales.com. Check us out on Instagram. Check yep. us out on iTunes, Spotify. Ooh, and our Patreon is yes. uh, patreon.com slash PSAFOT. And remember, it is far better to be peculiar than to be boring. That's right. Woohoo! Go be peculiar. Woo. Do it. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>